I am recording. Look at me. Who's saying we're working to sound less competitive? I would like to, but of course. <laughs> I think I'm going to. Okay, good. Welcome to the podcast this week. This is a really fun episode with Stu Goldsmith. A really rich conversation. And he is so funny. We started off very giddy and very funny, etc. Uh, yeah, it did end up with him telling you to go fuck yourself, though, Paulie. So that. Which is a, <laughs> a professional pinnacle for me, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> It's the first time you meet our editor, uh, the, the, the wonderful Lambert Butler. Thank you to Lambert for all you do. We discussed all kinds of stuff with Stu, including uh, the woes of the parenting WhatsApp group. Oh, yes. And some really insightful stuff, actually, about his very successful podcast. Some lovely stuff about his friendships. And um, just a little bit of a trigger warning. There was some talk of Dungeons and Dragons. So if you're not, um, obviously, Louise is very into, and I'm not. I think Louise was basically just trying to be popular with a boy. Why would I change the habit of a lifetime? Um, yeah, we talked about the origins of the dominatrix's name, which was of interest, and we had quite a lot of stew bossing us about. Yeah, but also, also quite fun. He quite liked us bossing him about, which I think. Was mm. Uh, yep. So it's a lovely episode. Really enjoyed doing this one. And next week we've got Esther Manito, who is absolutely wonderful. So be ready for that. Very excited. Very excited. Uh, in the meantime, have a lovely time with Stu. We did. What? What's wrong with sounding competitive? Hello, I'm Pauline Eyre, and I'm Louise Lee. This is Early Doors, and we are. Opening doors to other dimensions. Here's how it works. We feed information about our guest into our space-time generator, the Dimension Matrix, or Dominatrix for short, and she creates a whole bunch of portals or doors into other dimensions. And then we let our guest peer through the doors into alternative realities. Will they be living out their wildest dreams, trapped in their childhood nightmares? Or some weird bastard mixture of the two. But Louise, who is our lucky guest today? It's street performer turned actor and stand-up host of one of the most successful and respected podcasts in all of Podcast Town, described by The Guardian as absolutely riveting. It's comedians, 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 Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! It's Stuart Goldsmith is who it is. Hello, Stuart! Hello, hello. So many questions. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, first, love the format. Cried laughing when you explained it again. Still don't totally understand it. Totally well, here for it. That's how uh, I like it. Number two, surely it would be Diamondatrix, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Oh, it would. Matrix would be oh should we switch off the, the, the pedantometer? Should we switch off the guest? <laughs> we... Um, in the in the six months of developing of this format, it was called a different thing every time. So, like the the Dimeno Matrix three thousand, or the, yeah, and then we realised we'd given ourselves uh, we'd given ourselves a lot of work, and then one day <laughs> one of us just tripped over our mouths, and it became the Dominatrix. Oh, I see. Well, okay. In that case, apologies to the Dominatrix. So, Steve, lots of the things that are going to come out of the Dominatrix today are made from yep. ingredients from your own life. 
Oh, oh, good God. Okay, yeah. Before we set her off, I I like that, before we set her off, uh, because when she gets set off, you never know what's going to happen next. We've got one more thing, though, that we need to put in. We asked you to tell us about baddies. We asked you if there was one person you could murder without consequence, just removed from the world, yeah. Who would you? Who would it be? And what did you initially say to us? I said I, I can't. There's because, no. I'm not. My mind uh, doesn't work that way. Everybody's just a special the sparkle. There's Look, no one person. No, it's. I'm scared of the repercussions. You can't go around murdering people simply because two women have told you there won't be any consequences. <laughs> have you ever seen a film? Press this button. There'll be no consequences. No, thank you. Well, I don't believe this. Know. It's because Stuart is the nicey, nicey, nicest it's person so in comedy, nice. and. I do have a sort of aggressive empathy. Like I really could forgive anyone anything in a way that's really, it makes me such a mm-hmm. reason. We then pushed you and said, no, go on, if they were really, go on. And then suddenly it, the answer changed to yeah. uh, every, every comedian that ever lived. Well, this is, this is based on <laughs> a, a kind of a mental well-being exercise I like to do, which is that when you're, when one is feeling kind of, uh, uh, kind of downtrodden by the success of one's peers or people who are no longer <laughs> one's peers um, or even the minor successes of people you couldn't give a shit about. We all know how much that happens. <laughs> the little mental exercise I like to do is imagining that no one else in the world is a comedian and that I alone discovered that if I wrote down some funny thoughts and turned up at a pub and got a bunch of people together, I could say my funny thoughts, have a lovely time and be given money in lieu of a job. So that's a nice way of thinking about the world. You know, when you're feeling beset by envy, to think to yourself, just imagine none of it existed. Would I still want to be this if the whole job was just having a funny thought and saying it? Of course I would. Well, that's all it is. So get on with your life. So I thought, wouldn't it be good to inhabit that analogy by killing all other comedians and permanently solving them? Oh, wow. Not not quite such the nice guy we thought. Um, (laughs) But but just 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 to nail that down a little further, you... There is one comedian that you seem to have something against, and that's and that's John Robbins. What what the hell's wrong with him? <laughs> John Robbins, where are you getting your information? <laughs> Me and well. John frequently mistaken for each other by mm. other comedians on the circuit. Famously, uh, Jeff Innocent really got the hump with John because he went up to him and put him in a sort of headlock, and John was like, "What are you doing? Get off!" And he's like, "Oh, he's changed his tune. We were getting on." So <laughs> it wasn't him. It was me. So I am jealous of them. I mean, we, I, I have got quite a generic face. I look like a lot of people. I look, I've been told I look like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Richard Hammond, uh, Jeremy Kyle. Oh, yeah. and most mm-hmm. famously, the guy in the picture you get free with the picture frame. So I do like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean, I look like a lot That's of people. That's so generic. And, and, but, I look like a man. Yes, exactly. Yes, I look like a guy. I mean, I used to have a line about it. I used to say, I look like your brother's friend. And it would just get such a laugh. <laughs> and you're always like, oh, yeah. God, I really do. So the fact that I, I not only have a generic face, but also someone else looks specifically like it and they are on the circuit. That That's occasionally frustrating, but I have no beef with John other than that, I don't think. I should say I have a very poor memory. So if you're about to go, well, two weeks ago, you publicly yeah. expressed this, and I will, I will have to go, oh, yeah, oh, that one, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, no, that's basically what's happened. It's some interview for something. You went, John Robbins gets all the stuff of the man with the generic face. And... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. And it was as close as we could get to you slagging someone off in public, uh, oh, frankly. Lord, I must have made mistakes. I must have slagged other people off. If I can think of anyone throughout the course of this uh, recording. Well, then we'll drop them in. We'll drop them in. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, uh, but in the meantime, in goes Robbins. And uh, let's activate the dominatrix. You're going to be so impressed. 
Isn't that a salad spinner? No. Possibly. No, it's not a salad spinner. Possibly. Okay, so um, now before we look through the first doors, Stu, just to tell you that the good news is that you get to pick one of the doors to walk through and live the life you see on the other side. Gotcha. The bad news is you have to make the decision before you know what all the options are. So if you see something... Yes, (laughs) right. It's the story of everyone's life, right? If you see something you like, it's choose it or lose it. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Shall we crack on? Door number one. Okay. In this scenario, you're doing your crowdsourced show, Everyone's a Comedian. Oh, yeah, that was... For listeners who aren't, aren't comedians, sure. it's a crowdsourced show. So, so I did it as an experiment because so many people uh, that want to be comedians and maybe won't ever have the opportunity to do it or the images, what have you, are fans of my podcast. Um, I said as a challenge kind of thing for Edinburgh one year, I said, send in your ideas. People would occasionally... You know, fans from various degrees of the <laughs> the, uh, the well-being spectrum would send in, <laughs> hey, I've an idea for a joke. I've never solicited any of those, but people would say, hey, here's an idea for a routine. You could use this, I think, to me more than a lot of comedians. So much so that I said, well, I tell you what I'll do. Everyone that's listening to this, send, I just said this on an episode, I said, send in your uh, comedy. And I kind of, here's a website you can sort of put it in anonymously or named if you want. Um, and I will do a show at Edinburgh where I try and make all of it funny. And I won't look at it until I walk out on stage. So I kind of put that there so I wouldn't be terrified mm. and spend the entire Edinburgh festival thinking, Christ, how can I make this funny? So I did this thing. It was called Everyone's a Comedian. And it was one of the most fun hours of my life. And then I tried to turn it into a TV show. And I worked on a pilot. We made an amazing pilot with Rod Gilbert being the host and me being the sort of Alex Horn to his Greg Davis. And, oh. uh, and we did it with uh, Tom Parry and Ed Gamble and Rose Matafeo. And it was absolutely brilliant and nobody wanted it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but hey, that's, that's, that's like a microcosmic experience of trying to get a thing made. It was, it was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Completely absolutely. frictionless, wonderful experience. Yeah, so it no longer I exists, like but that's what I did. Right, but in this right. dimension, you're back there. Uh, oh, sure, sadly, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> sadly, it's not going as well. Every single <laughs> joke is a stinker. It's a stinker. You're working really hard to wrestle punchlines out of the material, but after 40 minutes, you and the crowd are worn out. And it turns out every single joke is written by your number one fan, which is... I couldn't have, I couldn't have engineered this better. It's John Robbins. <laughs> so in this universe, John Robbins yeah. is sort of playing the role of my nemesis. Yes. <laughs> and um, I've always got on well with John. Um, but in this universe, he's playing my nemesis and he has sabotaged my Everyone's a Comedian yeah. project yeah. by writing mm-hmm. me a load of duff gags. Well, yeah. I can tell you that uh, for anyone listening to this who saw the, the live show, certainly, um, they were not all strong jokes. So, <laughs> although I don't know that I would wish to live my life in a universe where I was sort of forced to perpetually replay 40 minutes worth of stinking out the room to someone else's material, that in itself would be a punishment without there needing to be some Machiavellian figure in the background trying to ruin it. <laughs> so if that's an option, I shall tread backwards out of the room. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Let's Excellent. shut that door. Yes, it's so far, so easy. Thank you, Dominatrix. What's behind door number two? <laughs> yeah, let's have a look. 
door number two. Someone's approached you with a cryptocurrency deal that they tell you is absolutely the one that's going to make you a life-securing amount of money, but not so rich that you won't keep your feet firmly on the ground. Obvs. It's not going to make you into a monster. How do you feel yeah. about this idea? Is this good? Um, I... What do I feel about that? Yeah, I mean, what is what is exactly the right amount of money? I was having a conversation on a bus in the Czech Republic about 15 years ago with my friend Hutch, where I had put to him, I said, what would you do? What would you honestly do if you had a million quid in your bank account right now? And he had some plans and he told me his plans. He said, what about you? And I went, oh. well, the problem with that is... And he went, shut up. <laughs> negative. Like, immediately... Like, my honest, immediate reaction to what would you do if you had a million quid? But the first words out of my mouth were, well, the problem with that is. So <laughs> to, to come up with an amount of money, I love the way it was making me laugh. I love the way you described that amount of money. It's a, what is it, a life-altering amount of money, but not life so Life securing, but not so rich you won't keep your feet firmly on the ground. Because we know you and we know that you, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to change and lose my ethics in life. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have access to sufficient resources currently. So for me, I get to enjoy the concept of cryptocurrency. I love, I bought some Bitcoin off the street from my friend, uh, sorry, off my friend Pete in the street <laughs> um, several years ago. Like I literally bought Bitcoin from a man in a trench coat in the street. It was so exciting. Um, but his plan, and uh, this is uh, Pete Dobbing, comedian mm. Pete Dobbing, and um, he says, and I think I'm quoting this correctly. He says you should work out how much money you would spend tomorrow if you lost your laptop. Like a substantial chunk of money, but not the end of the earth. You could afford it. If you lost your laptop tomorrow, let's say in this example, you could afford. He said you should get that amount of money and immediately put it in Bitcoin. And because you trust in the technology to do a thing, you don't need to check it every day. You don't need to do anything else. Put that money in and keep your keep your passwords. And, and I love the idea of that. Now, he has also made me aware recently that the weakest link in the security chain of any cryptocurrency is people knowing that you have it and then putting a gun to your head and saying, what are your passwords? So on that wow. basis, I have no interest in cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to hear this podcast, so your life could be in danger now. I understand yeah. it's one of the most popular podcasts in the Doors formatted podcast world. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you've obviously you you trust Pete Dobbing with with your kind of Bitcoin information. So if it was information, Pete in this yes, situation. he's he's my he's my he's my uh, crypto dealer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so is but there I should, anyone else? I should also point out to the armed listener: he also doesn't have any or have any interest in it. It's just really interested, <laughs> but not in a buying sort of way. Yeah, very very much a speculative uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> theoretical, theoretical. Um, yeah. So, okay. so it, it, we're gonna we're gonna give you the person now. This is who your your currency dealer is in this scenario. Okay. So you've got the opportunity of making all this money, but your dealer is at Gruber. Gruber. <laughs> who, who's Gruber? Okay. So Gruber <laughs> is um, the only boss I've ever had. I've only had two real jobs. And uh, the first was at a French restaurant in Leamington Spa. And Gruber. Oh, the glamour not, in that sentence. Yeah. Well, there we are. <laughs> but if you drill a little deeper, <laughs> Leamington Spa, not actually that glamorous when you get up no. close and personal. No. And uh, the particular French restaurant, sort of a bistro, really, um, without naming it, if you were around in, uh, in those kind of about 30 years ago, it was the French bistro that was everywhere. And um, 
Gruber is not his real name. He was called Gruber by the kitchen staff, but I didn't realise that and called him Gruber <laughs> to his face. He was called Gruber <laughs> because he was Dutch and they were being racist. Um, so all I remember about Gruber is that he was incredible. He was the most Dutch. Like everything about him was. In- now I've got. I've married into uh, partly Dutch family, so I choose my words very carefully. I love the Netherlands and everyone here, but um, Gruber's Gruber sort of was like. There was something about him that was like a Dutch cheese. There was something squeaky and perfect about him that was sort of... I, I tell you, I, I, this is all the information you need to know. He wore his watch with the face on the inside of his wrist. Yeah. yeah? Got Bad it. guy. Got Bad it. guy. That's yeah. Gruber. Would you trust Gruber? Is this, is this a door you might go through? Do you I'm not going to go through the door. I'm not going to go through the door. And it's nothing okay. to do with Gruber. It is simply that if you did have a satisfactory amount of money... Even one that was designed to not ruin your life, I think it would still ruin your life because you have to travel, hopefully, and not arrive. Everyone who wins the, the, the lottery is unhappy. So I don't know that there is an amount of money which would... Like, if all of your needs are fulfilled, who the hell are you? You're David Duchovny in Californication. You're just wandering around going, oh, well, I'll just be alive for a bit and then die. So, no, I, I, that would render everything pointless. So I'm not going to go through it. Okay. I'm Great. such a dick, but that is genuinely what I believe. <laughs> no, no. I... That's great. Okay, I'm going to shut that door. I'm slightly concerned, Louise, that you are starting a catchphrase of shut that door and it has been done before. I think we need to pull that. It has. It's a (laughs) bad when it came back, though, isn't it? Come on. Isn't it? Before when it was done, no one played in a live sting of a door shutting. True. Exactly. Oh, you are awful, Stu. (laughs) (laughs) But I like you. (laughs) Let's just go back to the 70s and throw every single punchline in. Let's go. (laughs) Let's just move on. Door number three. Okay. So, in this dimension, you've never stopped being a street performer. So <laughs> you left a pause there, and I didn't know. Wait. I didn't know whether I should say hell or heaven. I don't know. Was I was wondering. I was wondering whether I should say, "Were you a street performer, Stu? You've never mentioned it." Why don't you go fuck yourself, Colin? <laughs> And I'll throw some <laughs> coins at you while you do. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, so Stuart was. Yeah. I'm sorry, Stuart. At what level of street performer were you? Was it 2008 when I was doing the research? Um, 2008, I came third in the street performing world championships. So that's very impressive. Actually, no, this is uh, very not, impressive not, not because a top one, mate, a third one. <laughs> I'm sure no, on Wikipedia it says you were second. <laughs> Does it really? Great. Well, I, I didn't write so. my Wikipedia page, and I'm happy for that to become canon. So, if anyone would like I think to, if you've got, I think if you are a, a medalist at um, the Olympics, yes. right, you're a top athlete. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yes, and I do right? get a medal, but I do have a vase, like a proper vase, and it's one of those things where you go, like, it's an engraved glass vase that says, you know, third best, and I, I, I love it, love it. Can I just say I'm the exception? I feel like a vase is like a massive thing to give someone with a very peripatetic lifestyle, isn't it? Uh, Yes, but they (laughs) would know that I'm good at catching things. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Anyway, so in this dimension, you've never stopped being a street performer. You're fire juggling, which already terrifies me. And uh, a chunk of torch comes off landing on someone so you're looking for the viewer's benefit like please don't take me back here because this is a thing right isn't it 
Yes, this is this is a this is a real thing. The the wick on the end of the wooden bit, sort of two screws, screw the wick to the end of the wooden bit on the end of your fire torch. It appears dangerous, like all circus, not not like all things, but like a majority of circus things. They seem dangerous until you give it a bit of thought, and then you're like, oh, actually, you just make sure that you don't catch the burning end, right? And if you do catch the burning <laughs> end. No, come on. You know, you're a juggler. You're not going to juggle a burning torch until you know how to juggle. And if you find that you're routinely catching the non-burning end, (laughs) sorry, catching the burning end of of, uh, the equivalent of like a juggling club, you don't start juggling fire torches. Also, if you catch it, you just let go of it again. So it's not that dangerous. But what can happen, what does happen a lot, is that because it's not that dangerous and people coo and admire and applaud you for doing something apparently dangerous you start to lose respect for how actually potentially dangerous it could be so uh the two screws had come loose on one of my juggling torches when i was the court jester at warwick castle which was one of the greatest i said i mean i wasn't i mentioned jobs earlier on um it wasn't a real job i was the court jester but it was a lovely (laughs) summer job for two summers i shared the job with my best friend noel and uh, I was very conscientious and did all my shifts. And whenever he was working, he just used to go and hide in a tree. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so That's I was, quite a jester though, right? I mean, that, well, he, Listen, he was deeply, deeply in character, whereas Muggins here was going and fulfilling all of his contracted requirements, which is not what a jester would have done at all. So I, I did this big moment where you, there's like a big f- sort of uh, flourishy finish to uh, juggling routine, juggling torches, where everyone applauds at the end, you catch all three of them, and then you whoosh your hands across like like a sort of expansive out in either end gesture. And if you get the timing just right, it blows them out, right? So you go whoosh, and they're oh. out, and the smoke, and everyone goes, this guy's cool for a jester, given a very broad <laughs> definition oh, of cool. Wait, did you have to wear the jingly hat? And the, I, did, and the pie I didn't have to, but I did. And uh, so, yes, I did this gesture. But the torch in my left hand uh, didn't go out. In fact, the end flew off and hit a kid. It didn't hit a kid in the face. Uh, it hit a kid in the chest. The kid was not wearing a shell suit. Everything was fine. But uh, it could really have not been fine. But that is, you know, listen, you, uh, you, you win some, you lose some. And if you're going to uh, faff around doing circus stuff in front of the public, giving the appearance of danger, every so often it's going to go wrong. Ooh, so... Right now, you're not really feeling like you're going to go back there, I'm imagining, to flick your fire onto some poor child. But let's... I, I really question the way you phrased that, but sure. I know. <laughs> and I think you did too. I saw your face as you were saying it. You're like, there's no good way to say this. I'm just going to get stop to the end of the sentence. Stop, stop saying it. Just get to the end. Yeah. So let's see whose child it is. This is going to be a mad universe because um, with a strength of 11 and a challenge of 17, um, it's from Dungeons and Dragons. It's a mind flayer. (laughs) (laughs) They are around. So in this this universe, you are actually inside the universe of D&D. Oh, I'm a court jester. I'm You're a court jester. And in an accident at the end of one of my shows, I've bopped a mind flayer in, in one of its many eyes. Mind you know flayer. how many eyes those guys have got. Um, yes, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm looking up a picture of a mind flayer. Oh, they're good. Oh, they're sort of squid. They look like Davy Jones squiddy. Basically, big, big purple squid head. Okay, it's cool. Ood on, it's a sort of yes. ood minor tool. 
We yes, should we should I've put a picture a new... in the uh, we should we'll put a picture in the, in the show notes. Um, so, so what was walking, the question? So I'm walking into the world that actually is. So I live in the, the world of D and D, but my yeah. character that I'm trapped with perpetually is a court jester <laughs> who's me, age sixteen. Um, <laughs> well, you and can all be I you have now. to defend myself yeah. against the mind flayer is two remaining burning torches. <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, presumably all the other things that your character with which your character is endowed, which you know, you, you, you're welcome to endow yourself with. Well, oh, I see. Courage, Am I? Et yeah, Am I think I? so. Given that we're in D&D, and that's the point. Well, it? I think a court jester, let's get technical. I think a court jester would come <laughs> under the class bard, and <laughs> yes, they've got some I pretty good things. The they're, yeah. they're good at kind of seduction and charisma-based things, which I don't mind. Also, I suppose if you're in the medieval world of D&D, then a lot of things won't matter. You know, it's a destruction of the environment, um, uh, kind of collapse of civilization and so on. Um, however, there are mind flayers. <laughs> so I think, One of I whom think, you have really pissed off. Yeah, yeah, I think probably the worst things that can happen to you in this world are probably not as bad as the worst things that can happen to you in the world of D&D. And many so of I them can be go... mitigated with a good public liability insurance. Yes, all a good spell. <laughs> I mean, there you go. Yeah. That on the other side, yeah, if you play spell. your cards right... Then in the world of D&D, if it depends, if it's kind of a meta world of D&D, where there's, there is some sort of guiding external force in the form of a dungeon master or a player playing your character who wishes to keep you alive because it's more fun than you're alive than not, mm -hmm. that is actually quite attractive. Would I want to live in a world of D&D if there was some version of me outside that world? I was their character and they were passionately keeping me alive. No, I absolutely wouldn't because... Uh, <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I'm just not very good at riddles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bardic thing is all about riddles, or the way that I've played it, rapping, bad raps. Oh, nice, nice. I mean, the fact that you use the word bardic means you are ten times the nerd I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm um, looking at Gog, are you both going, uh-huh, I'm trying to sound interested. <laughs> right. Now, Louise will know, a Gog has got a challenge rating of 14. Very <laughs> good. There you go. Okay, but we're going to shut the door. Much as you obviously love that whole world, let's shut the door. Well, this. well, hold just before oh, we shut it. Oh, it's his choice, Louise. I've become, I've become aware that all of the good ones have got a sting in the tail and all the bad ones have got something positive. So It is completely random. I am random. worrying. Yep. Have you got a D20 back there? No, go on. We don't know what's coming. Genuinely, I think the point I'm making, I think the point I'm making is simply that... Um, yes. The world of D&D &D is quite a, it's quite attractive and it's a shame to kiss it off if like I'm going to get yeah. to, I'm going to be cautious about all of them and by eight it's like you live in Tesco and your brother's a hamster or something and I go yeah mm. well that's very that sort of thing could come up but yeah. I'm not ready to I'm not ready to stick at door number three so let's close that door please we're not halfway we're not halfway there yet I think that's that's it's fine five more to yeah. go five more to cool. go. Door number four. You're wearing some kind of a white ninja outfit and you've got weapons strapped to your back. Who are you, Stu? Why is this cool? <laughs> <laughs> I am Storm Shadow from Action Force. Of course um, you are, this Poppet. Is... <laughs> Weirdly, I think Poppet was his real name. And me, me and my brother, uh, me and my younger brother, we got into comics when we were kids. And the comic that got us into getting into comics was uh, a copy of Action Force. And I had the number because, do you know what? For his 30th, I think I tracked it down and bought him a copy of it. Um, uh, and it had, it was two stories. One was about uh, Storm Shadow. 
and one was about snake eyes and they were both such great stories they were amazing man they had a huge effect on me and my brother we were like this is awesome i don't think that we kind of we were probably too old to kind of play at being those characters but they were they were sort of um complementary kind of characters that were in their own individual stories so storm shadow's deal i think was that he was a ninja but he dressed all in white and at the end of the the that particular story he was trying to kill someone and uh, he, was, he was, he's an assassin and someone was hiding in a room that had strings with bells all down the strings at kind of every six inches down each string. And he was like in a room, he was just hiding in the middle. And, uh, and the, the implication was it was completely impossible to get to him without ringing any of the bells. And then the final panel was uh, Storm Shadow just standing, beside, standing behind him. And it was just super cool. The other bit I remember was that there was, <laughs> um, there was like two guys attacked him with machine guns or something. And um, and it said the line was something like Storm Shadow's sword is back in its sheath before the guards know what happened. And it was like he got oh. and killed him and put it back in. It's sort of Kurosawa type thing. Um, but yeah, it was just badass. It was like a white ninja. And I remember on some level uh, that spoke to me archetypically. I was like, oh yeah, the kind of the white ninja, like all his robes were white, <laughs> rather than him just being a Western guy. Which knowing <laughs> action force, which GI Joe in the states, it's called. Um, yeah. He almost certainly was. <laughs> He's probably his real name was like Chet or something. He's from Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so here you are. You are back. You're back in your. You know, you're in in this childhood dream that's come true, and you are sure. Storm Shadow. You are locked in a battle with your blood brother Snake Eyes, and inside the mask of Snake Eyes is. Boutros Boutros Garley. <laughs> okay. okay the real Boutros Boutros Garley the real one sure. yeah. tell us the significance of Boutros Boutros Garley to you Stu well Boutros Boutros so I have a son uh, a, a strong son I have and uh, he is fine <laughs> and um, I referred to him before his birth on my podcast I would refer to him as Boutros and it, for a little while, that was sort of the jokey name. You know, when, when the child is in the womb yeah. still, you go, oh, this is Bump or this is Ian or whatever. You come up with a, a joke name that no one would ever call a child, such as Nigel. <laughs> and we called him Boutros. And then I started calling him Boutros on the podcast, and he kind of became the character of Boutros. And then on the day that he was born, Boutros Boutros Garley died. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> I'm the only one. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, so uh, he's I the reincarnation. There, conceivably, oh he's the sort of Dalai Lama, Boutros Boutros Garlic, <laughs> which coincidentally is my is my Bitcoin password. <laughs> <laughs> Boutros remains Boutros in all sort of public correspondence, and I've got some gags about him being called Boutros and what have you. But I do wonder what his life would be like if we had called him Boutros, and I, I think that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boutros, Boutros, Go or we could have called it Boutros, 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 Goldsmith. That would have been a, a genuinely good gag. Like, and that's what happened. It's like every time, and then when he died, there's someone on the other side of the world that did Boutros, 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 Boutros and it would be a bit like Conkers. <laughs> that's brilliant. I love that. Fantastic. I um, love that. That's what came up. So, so would you like to to be locked in battle in as Storm Shadow with? I'm, I'm assuming this is the real Boutros Boutros Garley, but maybe or it's is your it son. The I don't soul know. Of your son, like if your the son soul has the soul of Boutros Garley, Boutros Boutros Garley, but if your son Boutros 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 Garley has the yes. soul, you know, then. Yes, well, it would be, and then if we were locked in battle, it would be presumably because I, Storm Shadow, 
uh, was on a mission to kill all of the Boutrosses and end the line of Boutrosses. <laughs> and every time I killed one, another one with another Boutros would arrive yes. somewhere else. So yeah. we're sort of imagining a kind of perpetual, a sort of Sisyphean existence where I have to mm -hmm. continually hunt someone down and kill them in order to lop, the, lop off his Boutros. Um, it's tempting. <laughs> <laughs> it's tempting. I, like I said, I like to travel, hopefully. So being locked <laughs> in a perpetual mission sort of wouldn't be so bad. I think I'd be quite chip about it, especially if you could have time off in the meantime. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I think the way you get to be a ninja is to sort of, I think it sounds lonely. It sounds lonely because that's the problem. Eternal life. This is me with a million, million quid. The problem with that is... It's, it's, it, could just it, be, it could just be three score years and ten as a superhero. Well, an assassin. He's not a hero. That's the thing about Storm Shadow. He is a baddie. And Boutros, Boutros, Garley was a goodie, wasn't he? Yes. So, unless it switches, every Boutros, they go good, evil, good, evil. <laughs> and that's and, why you've got to get rid of this Boutros to stop the, the next Boutros. Well, the oh thing my God, about... Then that makes your son evil, so let's not Yes, the thing about Storm Shadow is he's absolutely relentless. And I'm not. I relent. So <laughs> my default setting is relent. I'm so, one of Britain's top relenters. Yeah, I'm going to say no. I'm, I'm backing out of this one, I'm afraid. Back into the game. Okay. Well, thanks for, thanks for entertaining it with so, so seriously. It's important. <laughs> okay, how far have we got? Okay, we're halfway. over the halfway mark. We're over the halfway mark. Here we go. Door number five. Oh, God, nightmare. Your kids' primary school group chat has blown up. <laughs> Accusations are flying. Apparently, not only has your child been bringing single-use plastics into school, hmm. so maybe he is evil, uh, but he's been selling them to other kids. <laughs> does that represent a secondary use? That's quite good. Oh, the yeah, shame. <laughs> no, he's, he's got them new. In a, in a cellophane tube. I don't know what they are. Okay. Um, the rumours are, of course, untrue. So this is all yeah, sounding quite man. realistic. He, he wouldn't yeah, do something yeah. like that. You're going to have to He's a zero waster. <laughs> but you find out the source of the rumours is the parent of your kid's new best friend. And that parent is... It's Lenny Henry. <laughs> so Lenny Henry's son is spreading rumours about my son in this yeah. in this work. Lenny I don't like Henry's... anything about this. I, Lenny Lenny no, Henry it's actually, I think it's, in my eyes. I think it's Lenny Henry that's been spreading the rumours on the group chat. Oh my god! Oh, I'd kill to be in a group yeah. chat with Lenny. He could do anything yeah. he wanted. Well, oh, man. Here we are. The group. The problem I have with the group chat is, um, which is a new thing for me. I, obviously, as a, as it's a very twenty whatever the year is it's 2021 yeah. is, it? is that right yeah, that is yeah. right mm -hmm. the thing about being a parent in 2021 is that whatsapp group chats exist i didn't realize this was a thing i'm not really in any my family don't really have one everyone seems to be it seems to be numerous comedian ones not in any of them the uh, uh the thing that happens the most frustrating thing is that someone will do something or like have a birthday and then everyone else in the chat will feel compelled to say happy birthday so what i want i say this to my wife what i want to do is next time it comes up someone says oh so my child so so is a, a you know five today 
Um, what I want to do is immediately get in there first and say, I think I speak on behalf of all of the members of the group chat when I say happy birthday from all of us. And just, <laughs> just see if everyone else just, it just comes dead there. I think that would be lovely. And I'm a huge Lenny Henry fan. He's had a life-changing effect on me. And uh, he his was the first stand-up album I ever remember listening to. I listened to it over and over again. His 1989 world tour, Lenny Live and Unleashed. Although thinking about it now, simply because he was jumping over a picture of the world on the cover of the cassette, it may not have been a world tour. I don't know. <laughs> Back his profile anyone else. I was a kid. Yeah, I was a kid. I just hooked line and second. And it was absolutely a masterpiece of stand-up uh, characters, sketches. And it was like it's one of those old school things. I was thinking about this the other day. The um Rowan Atkinson's West End show, where he just did like whatever it was, seven or eight one-person solo sketches with Angus Deaton yeah. being Perkins in all of them. Um, no one sort of does that. Does anyone do that anymore? It's just absolutely brilliant. Um, but it was like an old school comedy album that was, I just played it to death on a, on a, on a school trip with, uh, I hated school and I didn't really have many close friends there. And, um, and that kept me company. So I would happily be in a group chat with Lenny Henry, even if his focus was bullying me. However, <laughs> if his focus was bullying my son or accusing him of anything, then Henry can go fuck himself. Oh. oh my god! I'm out. I'm out. I feel much. I feel much uh, stronger in my position as a parent looking after the interests of my son than I do yeah. as a human being looking after my own interests. So Whereas, uh, no, anyone, would, anyone sell steps, my kids anyone out steps to Boutros, I'll get <laughs> yeah right. Anyone steps out to Boutros, I get storm shadow on them. So no. God, I feel really. I I. That's good. It's taken a moral stance. That. It's Stu Goldsmith. Of course, he has. He could just talk Lenny Henry round. He could just go, obviously, this is bollocks. It's malicious. Lenny's coming here. He's come yeah. into the group chat and he started spreading rumours. Now, you don't do that. That's not on. You do that about yeah, Boutros. Um, but, you know, maybe you could you could say, look, Lenny, we need to sit down and have a conversation together and just work this out, you know, father to father. Maybe perhaps on my podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's tempting. I do. I, I email his agent every year. No luck yet. Um, <laughs> maybe I should stop making emails so aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be i can't think of a friendship in my life which started from a point of we've got to sit down and have a chat about this and then ended up somewhere genuinely good i can think of friendships which started from that point and didn't really end up being what you wanted to be and i'm a big fan of never yeah. meeting your heroes you know yeah. i do I, i'm the regular warm-up guy for a sort of tip-top tv show with loads of a-list guests on it and i've smelt rupaul i've high-fived the rock <laughs> And other than that, I've taken no interest because I don't want to, you don't want to meet, you know, unless they're right yeah. up there. I mean, I'd snog Tom Cruise, but other than that, there's the only celebs I'm interested in. And that's, that's an I would rather than I have. <laughs> quick, so, put him in the dominatrix, quick. Broadly, <laughs> I, I find that when you meet your heroes, and I don't, you know, it's not that it's disappointing. It's that the, when it is disappointing, yeah. it can be so heartbreaking. You know, I met yes. Patton Oswalt a couple of times um, and I love him and he was absolutely brilliant. He was kind of presidential. It was wonderful to meet him. And I'm so glad <laughs> because if he turned out to be an arsehole, it would have been just yeah. heartbreaking. So yeah. I'm, things to do with meeting famous people who I've not met, um, it's too, too much of a risk. Oh, God, how many doors have we got left? This one's Three. closing. Yeah. Goodbye. Left, Goodbye, yeah. Lenny. I love okay. you. But not like that. Okay. <laughs> Let's go door number three. Three the left. Let's do it. Door 
Number six. So in this dimension, you've just started doing a live interview for the Comedians Comedian podcast. And I'm racked with anxiety. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just about to ramp that anxiety up because okay. you've had no time to research at all. Absolutely my worst nightmare. Let's find out who the interview is with. It is Noel Fielding. Oh, I've not done Noel. I'd love to have Noel on the show. And I'm pretty sure I... Here's, here's the thing, right? I am completely stricken with anxiety about my podcast. And um, it... <sighs> Just get serious for a minute. Um, I particularly right now, I'm flipping out about it. I've, I've got proper, like, it's not clinical in the sense I've never seen a doctor about it, but it is life-altering anxiety. And particularly over the course of the last year, I have, we're about 40 minutes in, I'm doing a sad bit. Um, particularly, particularly over the course of the last year, I, I have, like, there's lots of, it's become a focus. It's become a focus of a background anxiety in my life. And one of the things is that I don't book guests on it if they have a, if they have sufficiently uh, huge back catalogue that I feel like I cannot sufficiently prepare. Now that's, oh. um, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying never, but it's easier not to. And as I have, um, for the benefit of the listener, Pauline burped and muted herself. Um, it was a cough. <laughs> <laughs> don't cover her mouth, and she burped. The thing is, I so what I love doing now, increasingly with the podcast, people come on the show who are seven years into their career and uh, are really exciting and haven't been interviewed to death, and also are sufficiently kind of open that there's something to kind of you can kind of get something from them. You feel maybe no one else has, and you can kind of confront them on stuff. And those are the ones I'm really excited about. And also I'm less scared of them. So I don't have a policy of I no longer book big guests at all. It's just that I do have really kind of uh, life affecting anxiety. I really do. And, and because it's become the, it's probably about other stuff in my life. It certainly is, but it, it's, the podcast can become a focus of it. So when I go, of course I should have Noel Fielding on the show. I probably, I'm sure I emailed him a couple of years ago or emailed his agent. And it was a different world when I started podcasting. Now, everyone, you know, not all of them with brilliant, fresh, original formats themed around doors. Everyone Thanks, is constantly Jay. badgering everyone. So it's mm. much harder to, I feel, I worry that it's harder to get guests. There's no evidence that. I've had over 360 people and they've all been brilliant and some of them hugely famous. But um, the idea of being, like someone like Noel, I love his work. I've seen him live several times. I've got, I've even got a funny-ish anecdote about like a personal connection to him that he doesn't know about. I could, and I could completely wing an interview. And it's my, this is why I know it's compulsive and nonsense, the anxiety. If I did an interview that went horribly wrong, I could not put it out. I'm the sole arbiter of what goes out on my fucking show. And people listen to it because they like what I do. And yet still I have this awful compulsive grinding kind of anxiety about booking it and planning it and all the rest of it. Well, so, what's great about yeah. this then is that you haven't got to deal with that. You're just plonked straight through that door and there you are interviewing someone you've always had been able to interview. Mm. And like your Everyone's a Comedian show, you don't have to get do that build-up, yes. that awful, this sickening build-up. Yeah, this is kind of a life hack technique for me. If the podcast could be mm. Tommy Tiernan does an interview show, it was a TV interview show in Ireland where 
he doesn't know who the guest is going to be. So he sits there and he goes, who's it going to be? And, you know, someone famous walks around the corner. He's like, oh, great. And he meets them there. That is my dream format. So to hack my own anxiety by making it a thing I can't worry about and could be fine is good. But is that a, that's not a solution to my anxiety. That's just a clever, a deft cartwheel around it, isn't no, it? No, so but it's I think with anxiety, sometimes going, doing, like I say to my child who suffers with anxiety, that uh, fear is like brick effect wallpaper, which I'm sporting in the background of this shot. And is that not real brick? Yeah, Sorry, back to the point. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah, um, it and basically you look at it and you think that's a brick wall right but if you could just get to the other side of it you'd look back and you go oh god it was only a paper it was only paper i just ran through it mm -hmm. and and sometimes you just got to take a bit take a few steps back take a big run up and you'll get through it really really quickly so this is you this scenario is you on the other side of that brick effect wallpaper yeah. there's the white side yes. the pre-stuck side yep. and there you are and once you've done that, you can go, oh, yeah, no, look behind you. Definitely brick effect wallpaper. I know, but I've done that you're... over 360 times. No, it because you always really... had to no, do the build. You had to do so the prep. Brain... Yeah. So your brain goes, well, if maybe the anxiety is the way of getting me to do the prep. Yes, but it, but it shouldn't be, isn't it? That's illogical. That's illogical. Yeah, the anxiety, anxiety isn't isn't useful care about logic. No, I know, I no. know, I know. So listen, I want to plan. I, say, I want to do this for you now. I want to get hold of Noel Fielding and get him to invite you just... onto a podcast. And then when you start <laughs> recording, he goes, "Actually, it's ComComPod. You interview me, oh, and off you go." And you wouldn't that be brilliant? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Uh, welcome. I, yeah, thank you. That's a great solution. And I know I've been doing it long enough that I know I can wing an interview with anyone. And I think to my, I've considered that as a sort of. Um, a kind of anxiety solution as well is just think you could do no research you could cap that you could do I'll do a solid hour and then I'll go into the thing it's not about whether or not that's possible it's about yeah. like the, the drag on my life the kind of the barnacle the thing that makes the whole ship slow down is is simply the fact whereby when I start thinking about big profile interviews now I quickly think about other other people yeah. which is not to suggest that people coming up on the show aren't brilliant valued and and mm -hmm. exciting well, actually, it's really interesting because they're not people who are for all those well i do say, think it's know? better i do think it's better and look at the end of the day there are enough podcasts out there now i used to be in the kind of the top 50 60 and now i'm in the top 200 which is lovely but my point is i have a niche and i love yeah. my niche and i don't need to like there is no, there's no end point, is there? You don't need to constantly be growing and improving. I've got loads of other shit going on in my life. And I love, if I get Olga Koch or Catherine Bohart or someone like that, someone who's just at that kind of breakthrough mm. thing and go, this is the one, this is the, this is the thing. And it's good for them and it's good for me and it's good for the listeners. Then there's no problem with that. It, I just also, also want to push myself a bit harder. Occasionally have a null fielding sprung on me or, you know, other people in my collection of, oh man, I'd love to talk to them. Then, then mm. that would be good. But having said that, door number I'm, six, I'm not going to go through the door because, and I tell you why, because it's basically my real life. I don't need to go through the door. I'm already there. I'm okay. already through the door in that version of my real life. So I'm going to hold out for something cool with mind flares in it, which I suspect I've now blown. Pissed but away. Pissed, pissed away. Pissed it away. I pissed it away as if it All were right. as if it were a potion of greater restoration. <laughs> All right, bye, Noel. Here's what's next. Door number seven. Okay, so in this dimension, you have the chance to hit Control-Z. 
What's that one do? Undo. Undo. One conversation in your life. Oh. And say something different. Oh. So what conversation would you choose, Stu Goldsmith? Oh, I mean, it's gonna. It's probably going to have to be this one. <laughs> have, no, I don't mean this one. I don't mean this one with you. I mean, it's probably going to yeah, have to no, be Yeah, no, I one. heard. The one where I agreed to come on your fucking podcast. Hi, um, I'm the highly professional editor, and I just want to say that at this point, Stu Goldsmith said some very nice things about this podcast, which uh, obviously the girls wanted me to leave in, but I wasn't going to because, you know, they don't do to boast. And then, after that, he starts bossing to me about, as you will hear. Scrub that sentence. <laughs> can you can you scrub that sentence? <laughs> That's basically... Control yeah. Z. Control Z, thank you. But this is perfect for me. Fine, you needn't scrub it because that was funny. So, um, uh, the one conversation I think uh, that I would love to redo is I... When I got married, my friend Noel, who I mentioned earlier and is dearly beloved, is uh, like we have reached a, a part of our life. We toured the world as street performers. We were best mates at school. In many ways, he kind of saved my life. He gave me an out. I hated school. He turned up. Suddenly, he changed my life. We went. We ended up going to college, doing A-levels together. We grew our hair long. He got all the tattoos we were both going to get. Fine. We started <laughs> doing a circus show together. We traveled the world. We did street shows. And that is it's fundamental. I would never have done it without him huge huge my lifelong best friend um i didn't ask him to be my best man because he's like a man crap at getting back to me doesn't i mean now we're in a nice rhythm of speaking to each other often enough and we i know that he loves me and he knows i love him and we're super super bonded but at the time i had a baby and he doesn't have kids and you know how your life changes when you have a baby i my other very very close best friend pete dobbing who's come up uh, in the show and he had a baby at the same time as me. And we were going through loads of things together, spending all of our time together. And it made more sense when we were planning our wedding to for him to be my best man. We were living in each other's pockets. And mm-hmm. Noel is every inch, like he's the straightest man you've ever met. He's like the archetype of a heterosexual man, straight as an arrow, we used to say, um, who will just, men are crap at talking to each other. And a lot of the men in my life, for one reason or another, are not very emotionally available. And I never noticed that because I'm also a man. So, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I didn't notice. I was like, oh, God, isn't it good that women can rely on each other for support in certain ways? Of course, I rely on my friends. But, you know, you know what? It's a sort of comedy cliche. You know, the conversations that men have. And I get home and my wife says, how's Noel? And I go, I've got literally no idea. I can yeah. tell you what he thought of you know, the Spider-Verse, but you know, I can't tell you how he is. (laughs) So it was at a time in mine and Noel's relationship where I'd had a baby, I hadn't seen him for a long time, and we were a bit crap at keeping up with each other. So I asked Pete to be my best man. He also did a brilliant job. He can, he he did a wonderful job of putting a stag stag do together. I had the best weekend of my life, not counting my wedding and birth of my two children, but (laughs) um, it was incredible. And as soon as I asked Pete, I was riven with not just guilt, not just sort of regret. Like Pete did a great job and it was brilliant, but I sort of was like, I had to bring Noel on board. I kind of did, I did in a, yeah. a kind of 180. Well, what the fuck am I doing here? It's Noel, it's Noel. So I said to Noel, you, I want you to be my best man as well. I want it to be a double thing. But by then I was saying it slightly too late. And as a result, at my wedding, uh, Noel wore a badge that said second best. <laughs> <laughs> 
which was absolutely a joke and beautifully done and kind of let me off the hook whilst also expressing a genuine thing. And I often, like I watch time travel, time loop movies, my favorite genre. I would never go back and change anything because I'm aware of the consequences. The one thing I probably would have done is I love the bones of that man. And I wish I had said, Noel and Pete, I want you guys to be my best men. And I just, not to take anything away from Pete, he was brilliant, he's incredible, he's a super close friend, but it should have been a joint thing. And I will carry that with me till I die. It makes my chest tight now thinking of it because I I just, I messed up. And it's a super important thing. And and also meaningless, but super important. I'm not going to (laughs) cry. Good, don't cry, cry? silly. No, I'm fine, I'm fine. (laughs) Yes. I'm really not sure I'm not. Anyway, okay. Okay, so, so we're there. We're there. If, we're going to give well, you... Well, if in this universe, what do I get? Do I get the power to take things back or do I get to take back one thing? This one thing. So. This one conversation, but... Nah, fuck him. Hang on. The cast <laughs> has changed. It's changed. It's different. It's different. Okay. It's changed. Okay. okay. So we don't know who the Noel is. It's... Anthony Living Space. Oh, yeah, lovely Tony. Have you got that name? Tell us about Tony Living Space. Anthony Living Space is um, a street clown and kind of maverick spirit who (laughs) I saw in the Edinburgh Festival. I saw him in the first time when I, before, no, when I was a street before, but I didn't really know him, but I saw him and I ended up writing my dissertation about him. And now he's my mate. And um, and uh, he is one of the most kind of strikingly original, daring, provocative street clowns. And he's also a complete fuck up, like all of my best friends in the world <laughs> of street performing. <laughs> um, and he lives in a van in Australia and he is completely committed to the to the thing, to the being a street clown, you know, like it's his life and he's suffused with it and he's in it and of it and is, is capable of the most extraordinary um, sort of risks on stage and is like just kind of a lodestone. He's such a, such a cool guy. What have I got to do to him? You, he is, in this dimension, he is the absolute bedrock. He's going to be your best man. man. He's going to be your best man. He's, he's going to be, be my best man. Fuck no, yeah. he's a liability. No way. <laughs> And I say that hoping that he hears this one day. Um, I don't think I'm concealing anything from him on that front. He's no, he's he's like you can't have a you can't have a clown for a best man. Like he's not he's not a comedian. I mean he is a comedian, very funny, but he is the soul of a clown. He's like that like so many of the of the people who were like archety- archetypical of the the thing about street performing which is so fucking infinite and magic and brilliant. You know comedy. You know, comedy is at the same time, it's the most dynamic, exciting, alive moment of your life. And it's also a kind of toxic boys club full of twats. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's both of those things together. It's it's incredible. And it's also being in Lee Delamere services at two in the morning <laughs> crying. Do you know what I mean? It's all it's those things, right? Like it's, I it's but it's both things at once and the thing about street performing is it's a fucking unhinged lunatic barking at strangers who are confused and upset and it's also 
the moment. It's also the kind of Tommy Cooper moment of the thing happening and this wonderful kind of just immersive sense of community and life. And like, fuck, we're all just people in the street. And this is, we didn't even yeah. pay to come in and see it. We're not, we, we haven't opted in. We've just looked over and now we're part of a thing and it's magic. And Living Space is one of those people who the moments in his show, I quoted one of them. I'm going to give away one of his gags now. He gets, he, he would collect sugar, free sugar from coffee shops and he'd be in the street. And he's this crazy guy, like a rat tail ponytail on a shaved bald head, wearing an ill-fitting suit covered in whatever, God knows. And he would look up at one point and he'd go, hey, kids, hey, kids, you want sugar? And he'd throw all the sugar packets onto the street. All the kids would jump up and run, the, run just get sugar and then run back to the parents. And five, five minutes later in his show, he'd go, hey, kids, kids, you want sugar? And he'd hold up the sugar. They'd all jump up and he goes, this time you pay. And things like that. <laughs> Those moments defined who I, who I am as a comedian and what I want from comedy and what excites me the most. So people like him and uh, Vince Henderson and Pepe and Herbie Treehead, those moments, they're all connected to that infinite thing that just gets me. But can he be my best man? No, he can fucking not. <laughs> he is, he's a dear friend and he can come to the wedding, but he has to be uh, gagged and bound. <laughs> oh, God. Stu Goldsmith, I've never had you down for a gambler. So I'm going to shut that door. Okay, let's do it. Which means you have to take the final door. Is it being or bummed by you? a squid? I'm in. Or do <laughs> <you>? <laughs> I'm going to write down you're being bummed by a squid by for a another squid. future um, guest. It, it, I'd, love it. I'd love it if the final door was like, here we go. You're being bummed, right? But it's a squid. <laughs> and the squid is... <laughs> the solo. Uh, so, here's the thing. You're a gambler, gambler, gambler. If, is there a door about which you're feeling, oh, based on what I've seen, I probably should have taken it? So far, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, being right. a court jester character, being a sort of bardic, your word, uh, bardic <laughs> character in, in a sort of live in a D &D universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a liminal space. <laughs> in a liminal um, space. Um, I cast Liminus. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I would given given if this crazy format were to exist uh, in uh, uh, which it is very much real. It's very real. I was just trying to walk back that sentiment. Given that this crazy <laughs> format is real, it's real, um, and most of the others have been not mundane, but they've been tweaks mm. on my existing life. Whereas yeah. to live a completely extraordinary life as a little D and D court jester, I mean, fuck, that's good, isn't it? You could you could be an assassin, yeah. but actually a court jester, you could be a wizard. You could take out your little version of your head on a stick like Timothy Claypole and shake it at people and cast Thunderwave on them. Oh, so sweet. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the one. I'm, okay. That's the one I'm salivating okay. at. So honest. I'm going to offer you Ooh. a chance Ooh. to walk through that door. Or oh, fuck. This is going to paralyze me. This is going to be 10 minutes of dead air while I sit here paralyzed. <laughs> I'm terrible at decisions. Okay. So... You can choose that life, or you can choose whatever is through door eight. I'm going door eight. <gasps> I'm going don't, door don't. eight. Come no. on, live a little. Live a little. Door number eight. Bring on the squid. Okay. Edinburgh Fringe is back. 
It's better than ever. It's chaotic. It's not corporate. It's just full of street performers and weirdos and energy. I will take it regardless of the other element of this. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that's the everything I talked about with, with Living Space. That's the node, the lodestone for me is that fucking place. So you would have to stitch me up like a kipper to make this an unattractive prop- uh, proposition. Well, see if I am. Oh, you're doing God. a double act. <laughs> oh, you're doing okay. a double act. I've, d- I've done them. I'm naturally a solo, but go on. <laughs> and you're sharing a flat with this person as well. Oh. You're having the full, intense okay. experience. Okay, okay. And the other person is... Tom Cruise. That's literally my dream scenario. (laughs) That is literally my dream scenario, doing a double act with the cruiser at the Edinburgh Festival for the rest of my life. Yes, please. I'll take this door. I gambled and I won. And you're sharing the flat. You're sharing the flat so he can pretend to be the squid that's bumming you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's my that's my dream. I love him. I love that. I look. I you know. I I get it. <laughs> I get it. He's obviously nuts. And um, and I God knows about the whole. Who knows how much truth there can be in in the whole Scientology thing? Whether he is being blackmailed or whatever rumor you whatever it is. Yeah. Um. Uh. We're at the Edinburgh Festival. The Scientologists can't touch us. They've got to get through all the naked students waving flies at your face. This is the safest place on earth. And I'm doing a double act with the cruiser. Sweet. I'll and you, do anything. And you, and you go back to that flat in the evenings. He's jumping on the sofas. Yes, but he's so intense. He's, he's hitting me with a kind of piercing intensity. He is a model of getting things done. That guy, holy shit. He yeah. gets Can you imagine done. him trying to run down the Royal Mile with that? <laughs> I, I, I imagine almost nothing apart from Tom Cruise running down the Royal Mile. Dodging in and out of the flyers. Karen, Karen, you have never seen me very upset. Oh, that's good. Great. Very good. Oh, do you think he'd like it when you do your impression at him? Is that a thing that people like? I wouldn't do it at him. I wouldn't do it. Are you sure? But he'd know I could do it. He would. God damn it. He is so great. He's a climber as well. We could go climbing. Uh, he's got a fantastically weird body that is because he's built his body around use rather than aesthetic. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he's like, he's got like a climbing body. So he's got sort of big, weird shaped pecs. And because he uh, he's into climbing and using it rather than just doing kind of like workouts in order to look fit. I'm salivating. Love to. And in, in, this, in this double act, he arrives down from the ceiling on a bit of string. It's lovely. It's... I don't think, I don't think I'd get him to do that. I think I'd be the kind of bumbling. Well, what? Okay. Here I, here's <laughs> what I like. In, here's what I am in double acts is I'm, I don't think I'm very good in double X because like I said, I, I'm honestly, I'm naturally a solo. I need to be in charge. I'm a bit of a control freak. Now, we all know Tom Cruise, massive control freak. So that is, uh, I can't see it lasting the duration of one festival, let alone a perpetual one. <laughs> but um, I'm certainly Tough. prepared to give it a go. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Great. What a yeah. result. And genuine jeopardy as well until the very end. Very good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. We're going to send you there. We're going to send you through door number eight and you're going to go through and, oh. and, and live that life. But before you go, Stu, um, where can our listener, uh, Boutros Boutros Garley's son, Gary, find out more about you? <laughs> uh, they can go to stuartgoldsmith.co.uk. 
uh, where you will find links to my podcast, my various corporate products, uh, my LinkedIn page on which I'm hustling those corporate products like a motherfucker at the moment, <laughs> um, and uh, all of the other stuff I'm doing. I do a bunch. I'm doing kind of online talks to business about the resilience of comedians. I'm doing online virtual office parties and virtual stand-up shows, and basically living my best life. Bye. Well, that's all we've got time for, dear listener. Follow us on the socials at E-Y-R-E-L-E-I-G-H on Twitter, Early Doors on Instagram, and we're on the Facebook as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed yourself, please hit subscribe. And if you want to email us any scenarios we can put our guests in, please do that at earlydoors at gmail.com. We'd love to take your embarrassing incidents and adventures and turn them into alternative realities for our guests. But will they be better than being bummed by a squid? No, undoubtedly not. I'm off through this door to play farms with Marie Antoinette. And I'm going through this door to be the camera operator on the Absolute Beginners video. David Bowie's going to look me straight in the eye and say, I absolutely love you. This podcast is brought to you by us. We did all the work. The voiceovers were by John Darvel. Well done him, eh? <laughs>